Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Let's pray and we'll look at Jonah. Lord, thank you for the privilege of giving us one more day where we can gather and uh, where we can seek your face, Lord, and we can uh, study your word and we just thank you, Lord. We, we ask that this word, word, word would change us more into your image as we seek to be changed, Lord. Certainly none of us um, are perfect. All of us need maturing and transforming and changing. And I pray that your word would do its perfect work in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Jonah, you'll remember just a quick review that people have looked at this. They've looked at this in three different ways. You have the liberal view of um, uh, really two liberal views, I think, out of the three. And that's one is the figurative one where we just read it, but it's not a true story. And that's uh, in reading it we um, get uh, lessons, life lessons from, where we can kind of, you know, just take it as fiction, but we can still get life lessons. Um, secondly, it's also uh, not a true story, but it's allegorical and, you know, uh, it's allegorical in the sense that, um, Every part of the story represents something with the Jews, like Jonah represents the Jews. Um, the sea represents the rest of the world or the different nations. And um, the well represents the uh, Babylonians that captured the Jews and held them captive. and and then them being spit out on dry land, delivered from uh, the Babylonian nation and all this different stuff in regards to the Jews. Um, and then the third view is this is an actual story uh, that does teach us lessons, but lessons from a real story. And that is the biblical view. The Bible doesn't even indicate that it's figurative. It doesn't indicate that it's allegorical but that it is a true event that happened. Um, and so we know this because Jesus said in the New Testament, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, Jesus was literally crucified, buried, three days and three nights away from the earth, um, we can talk about another time where exactly he, he had gone and then he resurrected back on earth. And, um, and so because that was literal, we assume also because Jesus said it in the same way. Jonah was literally three days and three nights in the belly 
of the fish. Um, so this is a true story. We read all the way to verse 16 in chapter 1 last time. And um, this is a unique prophetic book because this isn't so much prophecy given by God through the prophet to speak to people. This is God telling us a story about a prophet, which is unique amongst the prophetic books in the Old Testament. This is a story about the prophet rather than a prophet giving the word of God. And Jonah is a character. This guy is a trip. He's just, he did not understand how far God had to come to even speak to him because he's a sinner, because he needs grace, because he needs mercy. <laughs> he really hates the Ninevites. Which, by the way, tells us a lot, and actually I don't even want to talk about because this is the number one lesson of the book of Jonah. We'll cover that later. But this is a story about the prophet, and he runs away, he tries to go to Tarshish, away from Nineveh, this Assyrian city that is the capital of the Assyrian people. This big capital city that is filled with absolute wickedness. Um, the, you know, the, the whoever, I don't know how these experts get their data, but these scholars say there was probably well over a million people in this city. And um, he's going away from them which is about 500 miles away, he's trying to get away from Nineveh. He really doesn't like these people. He hates them. He doesn't want God to forgive them. Now, we don't know until later in the book, until um, chapter three, why Jonah is running away. And it tells us in chapter three, he's running away because he cites Exodus 34, I think verse six, where he says, I knew you would forgive them. I knew you're merciful. He actually quotes that verse in Exodus 34. And we'll come to that. But that's what's happening. And um, we left off with him telling these guys, this is why the storm has come because I'm in rebellion and uh, the solution, throw me overboard and you will, uh, you'll have peace. The, the storm will cease and, and you'll be safe. There's different speculations on why Jonah does this. Most of them are that Jonah has, is doing it for good reasons, but we don't know why Jonah is telling them to throw him overboard. It's possible, um, as some speculate, that he is having compassion on those people who are sailors. Obviously, none of them are Ninevites, or else he wouldn't have compassion on them. And he's on the boat, he's, and maybe he has compassion on them. He's like, all right, these guys are going to die because of me. Throw me overboard. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe he has had a change of heart 
towards the Lord. He maybe during his time on the ship, he has repented. And um, because of this repentance, he's saying, you know what? Throw me overboard. Um, you guys go your way. Uh, the Lord will take care of me. And uh, maybe that's what's happening. Closely related to, to that, and thirdly, maybe he has, um, after his repentance, the reason more than just repentance, but closely related that he is asking them to throw him overboard is he's having um, a, a time of faith, faith. And that's just saying, you know what? I've already repented, but I know this, that my life is in the Lord's hand. You can even throw me overboard and go about your way and you'll be safe and the Lord will take care of me. And maybe that's what's happening. We don't know. I'd like to, you know, offer a fourth explanation, and that is that he hates the Ninevites so much that he's saying, throw me in so I'll die so that those people never have to hear the gospel from me. That's possibility as well. Okay, I'll tell you what the, the number one lesson of the book of Jonah is, because it'll be good to keep repeating it. The number of, Jonah acts as a mirror, it is really a, a book that holds a mirror in front of us to, to, to help us understand this life lesson. Do you, are you okay with God loving your enemies? Do you want your enemy, enemies to be forgiven? You know, perhaps Jonah had some run-ins with the Ninevites. Maybe a family member of his was murdered by a Ninevite, by an Assyrian. Maybe he's remembering all the things that the Assyrians have done to the Jews. And um, he hates them because of how the Assyrians have treated his people. Maybe he hates the Assyrians because of how they treat children. Um, I, I have a lot of anger, and, and I don't believe it's just sinful anger, but righteous indignation towards people who treat children and women badly. And, and you, you hear about all the atrocities here in Kenya um, and around the world about how most women around are molested, are raped. And um, there's no doubt women here who have been raped or molested. And um, you can have that kind of anger towards, and, and you know what, obviously, if you've been raped or molested, there's gonna be some anger there, some, some bitterness, some resentment, something. Are you okay with God forgiving that person? Loving that person who did that to you? That's the real lesson is that true Christianity tr or, or true abiding in Christ and manifesting the nature of Christ to those around us is not how we treat those whom we love. It's how we treat those whom we have hated in the past. It's how we treat our enemies. I mean, one of the most profound statements in all of the Bible is Jesus Christ saying, I say unto you, 
to love your enemies. You've heard it said to, to love, you know, and love, but it's easy to love those who love you. I say unto you, love your enemies. That's, that, that's something else entirely. It is just, it's even natural in our fallen state to love our children. Even though I think many people treat their children really badly around the world. But there is a natural affection towards a mother and her child that can have nothing to do with godly love. And, um, you know, the, the, this natural affection towards those who are kind to you, towards those who treat you right. I mean, we have natural affections towards people who can benefit our lives. But how do you treat those people who benefit you nothing but cost you things all the time? You know, do you give them your time? Do you give up your resource? Do you give up your energy? And then beyond those people who not only benefit you, I mean, a wife or a husband, you know, we, we tend to treat people even as fallen, wicked people nicely. That is no measure of manifesting Christ's nature. Now, we can manifest Christ's nature in ways to our, to our spouse, but oftentimes, it's the same thing that I'm talking about. When your spouse is treating you real nice, you treat them real nice. But when your spouse is treating you rudely, you treat them rudely. And that's not Christ's nature. That's not how Christ operates. And Jonah knows that. He says, I knew you'd forgive them. These people are God's enemies. These people have destroyed, at times, God's people, God's children. And he still wants to forgive them. It's incredible. So those four possibilities, I mean, maybe Jonah on, on that fourth possibility is, hey, just cast me over. I want to die. I don't want these Ninevites, these Assyrians to hear the message that God has for them. Well, it says that the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cry out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. I just... Well, no, let me read the rest. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yes, I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth was, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 
when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So the Lord call, calls a fish to come swallow up Jonah. So many people assume that it's a whale and it is a possibility, but it could also just be another marine animal. In um, 1891, there was a gentleman by the name of John Hartley, and John Hartley was out um, fishing for sperm whale, which sperm whales back in those days, you guys know we didn't have oil back then like we do today to light the world or to heat our houses in, in the cold parts of the world or to, to, to put oil so that we could have vehicles that can operate and drive. We had none of that back then. That wasn't discovered until, or, and manufactured until I forget what, what year it was. And you know what's interesting about the discovery of oil, I'm not sure that Rockefeller, that famous rich family, but the original Rockefeller, I'm not sure if he was the first one to discover oil, no, he wasn't. But he, in reading the Bible and taking the Bible literally, literally believing in an actual flood as a historic event rather than figurative language once again or allegorical language, he went and began to dig in the Middle East knowing that the population of the world back then was probably in that area around Israel and different parts of that area. And he struck oil and became one of the richest man who's ever lived because of his reading the Bible. Very interesting. Well, this guy, John Hardley, was, because we didn't have oils to heat everything or run our vehicles, we used whale oil. Back then, that was to heat our lamps and lights and all these different things. And so in hunting for sperm whales to get all this whale oil, it was a huge enterprise, huge enterprise in those days. And so he's a captain out hunting. He fell into the water and they couldn't find him. But they actually captured a sperm whale. And when they were dissecting him to get the oil out, they found John Hartley in the belly of the, the whale alive, but unconscious and they revived him and he was uh, saved. So we know this is possible. Um, it wasn't three days or three nights, but this stuff does happen. There are other people who believe that this wasn't actually a whale, but this was some sort of um, marine reptile, possibly like Leviathan mentioned in the book of Job, and that this marine reptile that would have been kind of uh, prehistoric, but surviving in the ocean um, even after the dinosaurs were uh, extinct, that this, it's so large that it just swallowed up Jonah. We don't actually know. We know 
the, through his prayer, you guys don't get this picture that Jonah like gets vomited back on the beach and he, you know, his hair is in perfect order, his clothes are in perfect order. Um, no. It, it mentions in his prayer, actually, or his praise in his time of worship that weeds had wrapped around his head. You know, when you swallow something, the digestive uh, uh, process begins, even in whales or in marine reptiles, doesn't matter either one. And so Jonah is in this process of being digested. There's enzymes, there's acids, there's different things on him. Don't, don't think of, I don't know if you guys would have saw Pinocchio. Anyone ever saw Pinocchio? Don't think of that and you know, he's lighting a match and he's got a nice lamp going on and he has some paper and he's there studying and he's, none of that's going on. He's in a deep, dark place where weeds are wrapping around his body. Most likely, when Jonah gets spit out onto the, ocean, uh, the, 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 the beach, the shore, he is in a bad shape. His eyebrows are completely gone through the acid. His hair is gone. His clothes are damaged. He just looks like a crazy guy who's gone through a process of digestion. Um, weeds are wrapped around him. Maybe his eyebrows aren't gone, but they're certainly bleached. So you got this albino-looking crazy man coming out of this um, big fish. The way of the transgressor is hard. God may supernaturally preserve your life and give you a ride to wherever you're going. But getting there because you have rebelled brings a lot of troubles to your life. This guy, listen, some believe and will, you know, that his appearance is what frightened the Ninevites into believing this man has been sent by God. Obviously, he's gone through some crazy transformations. Maybe they heard about the, the, the thing. Maybe there was a people near there, though it may have been a day's walk, who said, hey, we saw a guy get spit up by a, by a fish. He's coming. He's walking towards Nineveh. We don't know. But some speculate that his appearance was so distorted, so deformed, that it freaked them out along with hearing what he had to say to them in believing that his appearance has actually caused them to believe what he's saying is true. It's a possibility. But we do know that this has cost him his... <laughs> his looks, <laughs> his, his physical appearance. You know, that, the, that happens in the world too, can cost you. Even your physical appearance. It can cost you things when you're walking with the world. And it's not just that you're, 
walking with, you know, doing drugs and alcohol, yes, that will cost you, of course. But even the Proverbs talking about joy or happiness is like health to your bones. And they are starting to discover some incredible connections between um, what we would call, not a, not a secular psychiatrist, but what we would call joy, spiritual peace, and spiritual joy, what is the reality of what's going on, as um, ha- having all kinds of health benefits and worry and stress and anxiety, people, they're starting to relate these sorts of things to cancer and to all kinds of stomach illnesses or uh, skin, even skin um, breakouts on your skin. You know, I don't know if we really can't talk about it with ladies, you know, because they're sensitive. So you guys talk about whatever you want. Guys, just by the way, don't go up to a lady. He's like, why are you all broken out and stuff? Don't do that. But us guys, you know, it's like, hey, you're stressed? So we know that even um, uh, psychological, um, physiological stuff Spiritual stuff can cause things in our lives. So the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, there's, there's those, those people that are so stressed all the time, they can't even sleep. Maybe you've experienced this. You know, there's a psychiatric term for everything. I, I, I don't like using psychiatric terms because there's a biblical term for it. I get it. There are some things that, you know, in our world today, we use those terms to understand. But narcissism is, is selfishness, okay? Narcissism is just pure selfishness. You see yourself in everything. You ever been, you, we've been around those people where you, you, you give them some good news about something, they immediately bring the conversation back to them, every time, back to them. Like, oh, that's great, you know. I also, it's like, man, I got a new phone. Isn't it cool? Praise the Lord. It's like, yeah, that's great. I also got a new phone three years ago. It was awesome. Everything, I don't know. It comes back to everything to them. Well, you know, they, they have these psychiatric terms. I'm bothered by it. Just oh, you're a narcissist. It's like, ah, oh, okay, what are we going to do? It's like, well, it's a disease. So we got we to gotta give you some pills and so you got to go through some counseling. No, no, no. You're selfish. You're a selfish person. You need to repent. You need to get born again, possibly, if you're not already. And maybe you are born again and you're still selfish. Just think about others. Prefer others. There is biblical things in uh, talking and, and re- confronting people on their selfishness. Alcoholism. Oh, he's an alcoholic. It's a disease. No, he's a drunk. The Bible has a name for it. He's a drunkard. <laughs> you know what? I've actually kind of pleasantly relieved in Kenya. You guys don't use the term alcoholism very much. 
I'm glad you call them drunkards. You know why? Because that's the biblical term for it. And, and the reason why he disliked these terms so much is because it reverts back to a disease. They actually want us to believe that this sin issue is a disease that is unavoidable and it's not their fault. So it shifts the blame from the person who is actually being a drunkard or being selfish to being an alcoholic or being a narcissist. And now, well, let's figure out why you have this disease. Oh, it's, it's, it's hereditary. No, I, I don't buy it. I, 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 I've seen the data. It's not convincing at all that it's hereditary. It's like, yeah, you're gonna be an alcoholic because your father was. No, I'm gonna be an alcoholic because my father was pouring whiskey down my throat when I was seven years old. Use biblical terms. I'm a nuthetical, which means I believe there's a biblical answer for every psychiatric term. I believe that. Believe that very strongly. A kleptomaniac. You guys have heard this? A kleptomaniac. Oh, he has a disease. He has the disease of kleptomania. No, he's a thief. He's a thief. I don't know why I keep saying he, you know. She's a thief. Why are we changing these terms? Because we're trying to shift the blame away from the depravity of man and the responsibility that each individual has over their sin to blaming it on society or blaming it on family conditions or blaming it on something else. And that is a lie from hell. It is a lie. I ever tell you guys the story, I was speaking at a, a really, I, I, kind of a prestigious conference in the US. And I was, I, was, I was blessed to have spoken and my session was right before the sheriff of the county that we were living in. And I went on this teaching about using the same thing you just got in the last seven minutes. Stop saying alcoholism and use biblical terms like drunkard. Well, the whole conference was about what's the cure to drunkenness or alcoholism? What's the cure for drug addiction? It was called the Cure Conference. So I give this, if you were to ask my personal opinion, amazing teaching, not because of me, but because of truth and information. Well, the sheriff of the county came up after me. He's like, we have to do something about this alcoholism. I'm sorry, I'm just, it's a habit. I have to use the word. And he went on using the word repeatedly. Listen, when you say those psychiatric terms, you are shifting blame from the sinner to the society. And that is dangerous. It's not right. Then we got to come up with a cure on what we do with this innocent person who just has a disease. Let me repeat it. It's a lie from hell, born from the mind of Satan. drunkenness. I was a drunkard because I was selfish. I was a narcissist because I was selfish. My brother's a thief because he's selfish. You know, I wasn't a thief. That's why I said I still, yes, actually I was a thief. 
I just, it wasn't my common mode of sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. It's going to hurt you to the point where it can even damage you physically. Stress, worry, anxiety. This guy, his whole visage, his whole appearance is damaged. I imagine it freaked people out when they saw him, like seeing a character on a movie. Jonah. This guy, he's a, he's a crazy dude. Who talks to God audibly or however God spoke to him? Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, <laughs> he runs away. It's crazy, but we do that. We, we hear from God's word. You guys know me, most of you. I'm a really transparent guy, probably to a fault at times. It blows my mind to this day being in a church like ours where the word of God is a lot of Bibles going out and people hearing the word of the Lord like Jonah heard and going in the opposite direction. Deception, I've been talking a lot about deception these last weeks. It's so powerful. One of the ways that I can illustrate this, and I, I don't know, this always makes certain people nervous. I, I'm just a transparent guy. I, is, is what people do with their money in our church. Because certainly, <laughs> certainly we don't see it. You know, I, I, did I make people nervous? I, some people just shook in their I don't know. It's like we can have a, a, a thousand members of this church and continually get 20,000, 30,000 shillings a week and sometimes less. This is, this is the amazing lack of understanding about where money's supposed to go. And I'm just being honest with you, we'll sit here and talk about it and you guys should just be in on some of our pastor conversations. I was talking to Pastor Odoyo, and we're just sitting there. It's like, man, I wonder what they're thinking. It's like, well, you know, I think they just, so we're trying to figure it out. We're like, maybe they think we don't need any money. And I think that's the total wrong attitude when it comes to your finances and your responsibility before God. Giving money to God through your local church is an act of worship. Not a logical reasoning whether or not that church needs money or not, which we do. It's, it's shocking. And guys, I'm just using money as an example. I could use so many because you want to know a person's heart? Look where their money goes. Pure and simple. You want to know who somebody is? Look where their money goes. And if their money is not going towards God... They're deceived. They're deceived about something. And, I, and I'm not just trying to pick a pet project here, but to me, and, and, and it's not even to me, the truth of the matter is, you want to know somebody's life, look where their money going. If you want to know what kind of foods they like, look what they spend money on food. If you want to know 
if they like candy, you know, there's a lot you can know and there's nothing wrong with buying candy or buying food. If you want to know if they love God, see if they give a glorifying percentage of their income to their local church, which is commanded in scripture. It's like God telling Jonah, go. And you, you, don't, you don't go. You just don't. It is an amazing thing to me how difficult it is for people to give a glorifying glorifying percentage of their income. Listen, if you wanted to debate this issue, there's hundreds of commands about money in the scriptures, hundreds, probably even thousands. So that's one that makes people feel real uncomfortable. Uh, You pray for me. We're ending the gospel of John this Sunday and it has been mentioned, maybe we should have a couple weeks in between books teaching on giving. I don't know, it's, it's just seeing your faces on Thursday night, it makes me afraid to see their faces on Sunday morning. Because there's so many more people. And I know uh, a lot of you are, are giving to the Lord, so. Um, that's just... That's just one example. There's, there's so many of God speaks to us. He tells us to go a certain direction, Nineveh. And we go the opposite direction. It's really a lack of understanding who's worthy of your time, energy, and resources. Is it God or is it you? Is it God or is it you? Jonah, as often as most of us do, it actually says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. That's, that's, it's so sad that most of us, guys, especially me, I am this way, I, I, I wish I could tell you I'm not, that it's, 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 it's more often than not that I learn spiritual lessons through pain, through suffering. I don't wanna be that way. I don't wanna have to end up in the belly of the fish in my rebellion and go through that kind of deformity and pain and anguish. How terrifying would it? Have you ever stopped to think how terrifying it would be to be swallowed by a marine animal? The waves alone being thrown out in sea would be panicking enough. We don't know how long Jonah was in the waves. It actually says that the waves were billowing on him. I've never been been lost at sea. You can't see anything. There's no land. Now, I was so far out in the ocean once because I was, unfortunately, I was drunk that I thought I'd just take a swim. By the time I turned around, the beach was so far from me that the people on the beach were like ants. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it back. And And I almost drowned because I I ran out of strength. That was terrifying enough. Could you imagine being out in sea with no boat in sight and no land in sight? Be terrifying, be terrifying. And then on top of that being terrifying, some marine animal, possibly a marine reptile, 
some giant Leviathan creature swallows you up as you see its teeth on the way down or a whale, whatever it was. Oh my gosh, it's, his affliction, have you ever been so panicked that you're petrified, you can't move? Do you ever remember when you're a kid you have to use the restroom? And that's, and it's in the middle of the night and it's dark out? And you're scared of the dark as a kid? And you're like frozen? Like you go out and you're like, ah. has anybody ever done that? I have. So I came up with a solution, you know, that I would sprint every time. So I get out of bed, I sprint as fast as I can. And, and, and it's so terrifying. You think there's something behind you? Has anybody done this? Is that weird? What's wrong with you, Kenyans? Are you not terrified? I was when I was a kid. I don't know. I mean, the affliction that he talks about is real affliction. I mean, he has gone through some terrifying experience. I mean, he, he is questioning everything. He's like, Lord, I love you. Yeah, please. Isn't it sad that in our affliction is when we often cry out to the Lord? An accident, an abandonment, a friendship lost, spousal pain, the death of a family member, divorce. Is when we get so desperate, we cry out to the Lord. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be crying out to the Lord every single day. It's like the song says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every moment, every hour, I need you. And really this kind of, it's just humans that, that they, they get the only time they're desperate is in desperate situations, which makes us, we don't live in reality. We're so deceived, we don't realize we should be desperate all the time because of how weak we are as people, how finite we are as people, how incapable. There's this old country song. I, I love this line in a country song. The country song's called Where Corn Don't Grow. He said, I, I knew a lot more then than I know now, talking about when he was 17 years old. Because when you're 17, you think you know everything. It's like, I know, I know what to, you, you wanna know what I know? I'll tell you what I know, because I know a lot. Let me tell you. 17-year-old kid, especially men, they're like that. Men. They got it figured out when they're 16, 17. They talk about it. It's like, oh, you, yeah, l let me tell you. Let me tell you a little theology. It's like, wow, it's, yeah. it's great. You've been reading for, for six months. That's nice. It's good. It, it, you, you know, it's good to talk about and people are excited, but there's those different kind of guys. They think they know everything. Boy, I have, I have family members like that. I was once talking to my nephew. We were in the car. And I had enough. It was like a couple days of him knowing everything about everything, you know? 
and uh, I don't know, we were talking about King, the, the name Leopold. And he's like, Dad, that's British. You know, uh, uh, no, not Leopold, Louis. He's like, that's British, Dad. You don't know what you're talking about. King Louis was a British king. I was like, you know what? You know everything, don't you? I happen to know as a fact that Louis is a French name. Shut up. I was like that when I was a teenager, knowing everything. When I was like eight years old, I was telling my older brother who was significantly older than me how to put an engine together in a car. I had no idea what I was talking about. I still don't know how to put an engine together in a a car. It's like guys, they get around engines, they're like, hey, have you tried to to do that? That's a wire, you know, coming from the spark. Shut up, you know. Even today, you know, I, anyways, you get the point. You get the point. I was with the electrician. He was driving me nuts. He's like, no, that doesn't go. I was like, I know. I'm the one who called you. I'm telling you. Anyways, we, sh- we shouldn't get desperate when we're just in afflictions because we need to understand who we are as a people. We're very finite. We're very slow to learn. It's important. He cried out in his affliction and he goes down through this prayer of repentance. And it's very interesting through the second chapter as he praises the Lord, as he repents because of his affliction, that God receives his prayer because God is gracious. It, 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 it says there, so the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited him up on dry land. The Lord has a way of getting us where we need to go, even if we fight with him along the way. And we don't have to go through that much pain to get there like Jonah or the pain that I've gone to get where I have I I am. You don't have to. You don't have to have a drug and alcohol testimony to have an excellent testimony. In fact, listen, guys, if you said yes to Christ and no to the world in an earlier age, you have a better testimony than I do. As far as I'm concerned. But even because Jonah, as the scripture says, cries out in his affliction, God is still gracious enough to answer him. It it amazes me about God that God is willing to hear us and deliver us after we've rebelled against him in the past. And because of our past Rebellion, we're, we're in this affliction, we're in this terror, we're in this trouble, we're in this trial. That when he told us not to do, we did. And because we're in pain and doing what he told us not to do, we cry out to him and he delivers us, even though he told us not to do it in the first place. 
We, we just serve such an amazing God. We serve such an amazing God that he would be gracious enough to do this. So it's never too late unless you have no more breath, then it's too late. But it's never too late to repent and to, to, to change your course of action, to change your mind about a situation and to go forward with God, to obey his commandments. It's never too late, as long as there's breath in you. But here's the principle for tonight. You'll cause yourself a lot of pain in that rebellion. You really will. Lots of pain. I was homeless, drug, drunkard, selfish, prideful, jerk. And it landed me in this terrible life and I cried out in my affliction. But I needed to understand that before the drugs, before the drunkenness, before all that, before the trials, I was still as weak as when I was homeless drug addict and 130 pound looking crackhead. And I need to understand that as a drug addict and drunk and, and how weak I was then, I am still that man today and weak. I am as weak today as I was when I was a heroin addict. And the only strength you see in me is Christ's strength. There is no good thing in Josh Lawrence. The only good that I can manifest is the very nature of God that is in me working through me. I'm, a, I'm as weak today as I was then. I'm as weak today as when I was a kid. And I will be as weak when I'm 80 as I am today if I live to be 80. So it causes us to wake up each and every day saying, you know what? I desperately need you and I don't want to learn the hard way. I need to pray today. I need to obey today because I don't only want to cry out in my physical afflictions. Does that make sense? It's very important that we understand how desperately we need him before we get desperate physically. Jonah chapter three next week. Lord, we thank you for, your, for this story that is true, it actually happened, but we get to learn all these things from it. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we fellowship now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.